Welcome to a season preview edition of Talking Texas. We're talking some Texas football with Mike Roach, my co-pilot on the state of recruiting. I love when we do the Talking Texas state of recruiting back-to-back, Mike, because it's really just testing our host versus, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know what the other co-pilot color commentary roles are. So you always throw it to me for the state of recruiting. So I'm going to throw it to you. Any uh, thoughts off the top before we get going on the season preview? Well, we're like a backcourt of like two guys that can both run the point. So I think it's just, it depends on who's going to bring the ball up on any given <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. Um, excited for the season. We got the high school season kicked off last week, college season starting this week, full slate of games on Saturday. How cool is that going to be to wake up in like 11 a.m. first kickoff and just immerse yourself in college football all day long? It's back. We made it through the offseason. My question is, how many of those teams will be affected by the depth chart they put out this week? Ooh, Mike, I have a question for you. Since we don't have a depth chart this week, what are your thoughts on, you know, I, will Bijan Robinson start? Who's to say? Uh, I mean, really. honestly. I mean, how will we know? No, like, will Xavier Worthy play? I do want to get, get into the depth chart stuff because I thought it was it was peak, like, it was really kind of like a peak May story that we usually get. Like, it's just yeah. in the middle of a barren wasteland when there's nothing to talk about, people complaining about something. I didn't think we would get it in the lead up to week one. Uh, but here we are. And I think depth charts are largely made for, you know, the media. And I think over the years, college football programs have figured out how to just kind of make the depth chart as vanilla as possible and still do their own thing. And, you know, I, I, I remember the first year, I can't remember who was the head coach at Texas. I can't remember if it was Mac or Charlie uh, or maybe even Herman, but like when we first started seeing the oars on the depth chart, I was yeah. like, what is that? <laughs> um, and every position had nine oars. So I, you know, I've never put much stock into them anyway. Um, they're going to do what they're going to do regardless of what the piece of paper says. I think what's funny, I think the reaction on both sides is hilarious to me because I think, A, there's certain parts of the media that take themselves too seriously, that overreacted way too much, like, of oh, my God, they don't have a depth chart. And, of course, you have fans from other schools saying, oh, this means trouble and this means that. At the same time, I saw Sark commented on it at his press conference of, like, you guys took that way too seriously. It's like, yeah, this is what we do here. Like, there are times when Sark will comment on something the media does here, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what makes this Texas. It's uh, We go overboard. It's what we do. Uh, it was weird watching. I, I cannot remember who it was. It was somebody from from Houston. Uh, was it <sighs> – goodness who's not involved with the program it's one of the nfl writers and he just had like a collective panic attack he had a panic attack on twitter about it and i was just like you don't even cover the team what are you doing Uh, you know what it is it's like it's it's an easy content piece for them oh that's yeah it's it's like an easy content piece and then it got taken away from them and so now he's like well i have to do research now you've you've screwed me well, it's, it's a great week lead up, right? Like, think about our content plan for a game week. If we get the depth chart on Monday, well, then we write a here's the depth chart. And then maybe on Tuesday, we write about some position battles and could this guy move up the depth chart? And maybe it chews up three days of content for media. I think that's why you see people scream about it when yeah. the box is scored. 
Uh, not exactly helping some stereotypes that a lot of the uh, older establishment media has. So that was that was real fun. But Mike, I mean, we are two days away as we're recording from the season. When the fans are listening to this, listeners, it'll be one day until kickoff. That's pretty exciting. I mean, overall, uh, can I get a vibe check heading into the year? Uh, vibe check is. Uh... I don't want to say nervous because I've tried to take like the fanhood out of my job and for uh, sure covered objectively. I guess I'm nervous for Texas fans because like I, I mentioned it, I think maybe last time we did talking Texas is like, it's so great when the season starts and Saturday's back and you see your team on the field. And like, I think about Nebraska, right? Like they got to start the season early and everything was looking great. And then all the two stuff- and a half quarters. It, but like, and, and I don't think this is going to happen to Texas against Louisiana Monroe, but you know, Alabama's right around the corner. Uh, but think about how much the Nebraska world is in shambles today over everything that's happened in the last week. And it's week one and they've got to do an entire college football season, almost feeling hopeless. And obviously things can change throughout the season. Maybe they string together some wins and that changes the vibes, but um, that's always that's kind of been my feeling about this program for the last, you know, for as long as I've been doing this is are we going to where are we in the cycle of, you know, are things on the up is Texas back all those sorts of things. You're right about the week one thing too, to where like obviously Texas, uh, you know, spoiler Texas isn't going to more than 99.9% isn't going to lose to Louisiana Monroe unless some, you know, it rains in Austin there's some crazy stuff. But you are right that with Nebraska specifically, and I guess as we move on, like your first week success or failures aren't always indicative to a season. I look back at last year's Houston versus Texas Tech opening result. Texas Tech and Matt Wells beat Houston. Everybody, um, like I guess the local like statewide media is like, oh, my God, Texas Tech, Matt Wells, they've got it under control this year and inspired like five weeks later. Yeah, I mean, look, it. we've seen it with the Notre Dame game in 2016. Like, it happens uh, where you think, but I think far more the other way. It's like you're excited, then your team has, like, this this crushing loss. Your coach throws your offensive coordinator under the bus. There's drama throughout the week. Then the question, especially when you're in a situation, again, like Nebraska is, where Scott Frost enters the season on the hot seat, and then it's like, okay, well, now we, we at least thought we maybe have a couple of weeks until we had to do hot seat talk, but then immediately <laughs> back into it. And I mean, I just, Hudson, you were, I don't think you were in the business yet, but you were certainly reading message boards during that last Tom Herman season. And it was oh, like, yeah. after like week three or four, it was like this season is like covering the season is miserable experience because it's like yeah. once in all four at this point. And so, you know, I look, I don't think we're there with Texas right now. I don't think it's let's no. worry about Steve Sarkeesian or anything, but I just like, those are the feelings you get because it's like you wait all year for it. And it's like Christmas. Do you, when you open it up, are you getting a PlayStation 5 or are you getting socks? <laughs> um, can I posit something to you? I, I'm, I'm curious your take on this. I almost feel more comfort knowing that they have Alabama week two. They're not going – Texas will not win that game unless they, you know, really – pull off kind of a masterclass more than likely that almost gives me comfort. Whereas like the Arkansas game last year, 
to me, kind of derailed a lot of the early season hype because I, that was such a winnable game, right? And obviously, Arkansas ended up being much better than people thought. But it's not like Texas is playing um, West Virginia or Texas Tech Week 2 where we really have an early indicator about how good this team is. Like, you're you're playing the number one team in the nation. So anything, anything where you cover the spread is going to be pretty well received. Yeah, and I, I think in the past, those disappointments for Texas fans have come with, like, losses to Maryland or Cal early in the season. I was at both Maryland losses, so absolutely. Those, those type of situations which you kind of – where it's like, man, we, we didn't think it was a given, but we certainly also didn't think it was, <laughs> yeah. was going to be that hard. And those are really what derailed – even after the Arkansas loss last year, I mean, if you recall, Texas comes back out, they start casing, they beat – rice they beat tcu they go huge up on oklahoma and it's like okay well that arkansas loss was clearly just a bump in the road and this team is actually looking like a team that could compete for the conference and then those losses following are what kind of really derailed it all right mike let's get into it i say we start with the best case worst case um scenarios before we kind of move on to, I don't know, a little bit of in-depth Louisiana Monroe and then going game by game. What is your best case scenario for Texas this season? I think very best case, you're looking at a 10-win team. And I would say that with the bowl, like maybe a nine and three, win a bowl game, 10 and three. Um, that's that's what I see as the best case. I think we, we're, pretty, we're pretty firm here that we do not think they're going to beat Alabama. Um, I think every other game on their schedule is, is winnable. I don't think there's another team they can't stand up against. But I also don't, you know, I don't expect them. I don't think they are at the level where they're going to beat every other team on the schedule. So I do expect a couple of stumbles in there. I would say the, your best case is a 9-3 and three. regular season. Maybe even, you know, you find yourself in the last couple of weeks in contention for the Big 12 if things break right, maybe you're in that Big 12 championship. And maybe if you win that and a bowl game, then you're an 11-3 and three team. Yeah, so my best case scenario, I do think that 10-2 and two is reasonable. And I'm going to have some friends listen to this who are going to make fun of me for that because I, I normally am a little bit higher, especially in the week leading up to kickoff. But the Big 12 just is not very good. There are not many certainties in the Big 12 this year. So even with the Alabama loss and while every game is winnable, I don't think that they can, I don't think Texas has proven enough to where you can realistically say, yeah, 11 and one. Like, I think that's kind of silly, but I do think that a 10 and two regular season, if everything breaks their way is a realistic possibility. And then my worst case scenario, I'd probably say seven and five. I, I don't see enough, again, just with my personal assessment of the Big 12, I just don't see enough losses on the schedule. I think, I mean, I'm with you and I don't think they're going to finish five and seven, but I think we saw last year almost a worst case scenario where, you know, you lose eight sure. games to you get on a losing streak and it seemed like they couldn't get out of the tumble. And then you get into a situation against a team like Kansas where you feel like that's a slump buster. Maybe West Virginia is a slump buster. Couldn't win either of those games. I think we saw like a worst case scenario last year, a five and seven, four and eight. Do I think they'll reach that? No. But I I do think that there is a worst case scenario out there that has them going five and seven or six and six again. I guess this goes into the next point. (sighs) 
uh, it's again, last year was a five and seven team. So there's only kind of one way you can answer this without we're talking about this team, but do you feel like they've significantly improved on last year as far as overall roster construction? I do. Uh, the I should take this time to plug the uh, team composite rankings, which just came out on 24-7. Um, which uh, kind of spell out what the talent on the team looks like. I think Texas, you said sixth. Uh, I believe so. I rank sixth in the nation. I mean, they're talent-wise – at least from a recruiting perspective. And I know that people look at that and say, well, maybe you guys are just getting it wrong. Well, we're not getting it wrong in Alabama, who's number one in Ohio state and Clemson and all those schools that are up high. Um, So maybe it is a Texas thing at this point. I do think, you know, the offensive weapons have improved even without Isaiah Neuer. Um, I think the, the quarterback position should be improved uh, based on what we've seen. Um, My real worries are with this team staying healthy and with the with the defense and those are like the two things that worry me the most but I've talked a lot through the offseason about how I feel that offensive improvement could really help this defense take a step forward I'm with you Mike I'm trying to think I feel like we had one more overarching thing we wanted to get to before we went straight into ULM well I think uh did you do you want to take a look at the whole schedule or do you want to go with ULM first Yeah, I mean, let's take a look at the whole schedule. What is the stretch that kind of worries you the most? What's the one to where you're like, okay, they're going to be in the trenches. We're going to see how mentally strong this team is when they hit this stretch of games. It's always in the middle of the season. It seems like last year it was, I believe, TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, um, which is that. And it always seems to rotate around the Oklahoma game the games immediately before and after. And I think that that's a testament to how good Oklahoma is that they're just a always in there. They've got to be in there. I mean, they're, they're going to be the toughest game on your schedule year in and year out for the most part. So it's got to kind of be built around that. I think if you look again at it, you know, you, you play the Oklahoma game in Dallas, you get Iowa State at home, and then you go on the road to Oklahoma State and Kansas State. Um, That's four teams capable of, and Kansas State's getting a lot of hype this year. I don't know if I buy it that much. Um, but, you know, Oklahoma State's a school that Texas has had its problems with. Iowa State's a school Texas has had its problems with, although they don't seem to have as many problems in Austin as they do in Ames with them. Um, and, and obviously Oklahoma. And, and like I said, Kansas State, I think, is equipped to beat them. But in a year last year when – they couldn't seem to beat anybody. They still pull off a win against Kansas State. But going to Manhattan is always tough. I think for me, that's probably the four-game part of the schedule that I think is is the biggest challenge. I love that commentary. Before we do move on, I did have one thing I kind of wanted to spring on you. The defense has to play at what level for this to be a Big 12 title contender? I would say like a B-minus uh, borderline C level. I mean, it's – if you're talking about like national, which is probably like top 50 ish in the nation, if that they can top 70. Yeah. I think they could be a top 70 defense. And if the offense is good enough, and I, it's all on a sliding scale, right? Because if the offense For is sure. nuclear, if Quinn Ewers is what everybody thinks he is, if John Robinson stays healthy and does his thing, the better and the if, offense gets, the more margin for error the defense has. And if Steve Sarkeesian can scheme things up like we watched last year, that is what gets me very excited about this Texas team is that, Mike, when we were um, watching some old games together at your place before all the moving started, it was like, oh, my God, there are 
you know, four, five, six plays a game, it feels like, to where somebody's running wide open and it's not a touchdown. Or this is blocked perfectly. And for whatever reason, like this doesn't end up ending up with a score. So again, I do think the offense going nuclear is a possibility. I mentioned in the summer, and this is before the Isaiah Nayor injury or then the junior Angulao injury. So, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking this level, but I almost wondered if um, I want to get the year right too, because it's very important. I almost wondered if Texas could potentially be like, I believe a 2018 Oklahoma type team where it is just, um, just completely every game is in the sixties on sides almost. Yeah. I, I think that's gotta be almost the recipe for them there. Every coach is going to tell you, well, we want to play great defense and starts with playing great defense and all those sorts of things. But I mean, if you can score like that, you, you yeah. really taking a lot of pressure off of your, of your defense. And um, you know, we've had our own questions. We've talked about it a lot. Who's going to rush the passer for this team. How are they going to, you know, do yeah. certain things, but I think the the best uh, best defense is a good offense. Um, <laughs> can I just go through the uh, conference games for this Oklahoma uh, team that I'm talking about? Sure. Just real quick, sixty six to thirty three win against Baylor. They lost uh, forty eight to forty five against Texas, and one of my favorite games I've ever been to. Uh, 52, 27, 51, 14, 51, 46, 48, 47, 55, 40, 59, 56. So, you know, like I do think that that is maybe one scenario if you're looking on the positive side for Texas. And I, I think if, again, you're instead of drinking the Kool-Aid, you're smoking the cigarettes on the Texas uh, 2022 season, probably the perspective would be something like, yeah, there just is an unproven quarterback that's a very high risk, high reward. What if we get back into the musical chairs again? Um, yeah. I'll be honest, I've kind of heard that I've heard that Quinn has looked very good since being named the starter, but that, um, and I think kind of understandably so, Hudson Card has maybe taken a step back, so to say. So, again, if something happened to Quinn, then you're relying on Card or you know, even, you know, what if something happens to be John Robinson, Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver depth isn't as good as it was with um, Isaiah Nay or as the wide receiver too. Now we're getting into a spot to where <laughs> we're already kind of talking about uh, how much has Casey Kane improved. So I, I think that if you're listening to this and kind of sick of the hype, those are a couple of things on the offensive side. And the defense has plenty of questions. We almost don't need to get into those. Yeah, I, I do think the scoring is uh, would be big. I would like to point out, though, that twice last year, Texas scored over 45 points and lost a game. So yeah. it's not a foolproof plan. Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, like I, like I mentioned, I, I think it's more about being timely. And both of those games were overtime games, I believe, right? Was No, Oklahoma didn't go to overtime. It looked like it was going to. Um, but I think it's more about timely scoring than anything. Yeah. I mean – like I mentioned, if if Texas could have just sustained a couple drives against Oklahoma and ate, ate some clock rather than going three and out and putting the defense right back on the field, yeah, they're much harder, you know, task for them to come back from that deficit. That's all they've got to do. The offense has to be, I think, play to the level they did last year and then be fifteen percent better, maybe ten yeah. percent. 
Um, and I think if they can do that, and they certainly have the weapons too, that, that it's going to help the defense a lot. One, again, I, I've kind of mentioned a couple final last thoughts, but I just really do hope that Bijan Robinson gets one last ride at Texas, kind of gets a little bit of a maybe Heisman-ish campaign, just be in contention. Just I, I, wa- I want him to have a final year at Texas that you know Ricky got in his last one because he really has both on and off the field just been everything and more that he was uh, – promised to be and again people do make fun of the recruiting sites but i haven't heard a lot of like hey great job on getting Bijan uh Bijan robinson right because again like i said he's been everything that you reported off the field and the evaluator saw on the field yeah i definitely think that if you're talking about it rarely in this world do people like Ever, is it life isn't fair as I'm reminded often by my father but um, if anybody deserves the best it's a guy like Bijan Robinson and you know that's one where we talk about those evaluations and recruiting a lot and it's it's really in reality not difficult to tell you that Bijan Robinson is going to be good when you see him in high school but like For sure it it does feel good though to be like uh, with the first time you see him, be like, uh, that guy's a future first round pick, and then him validate everything and be everything he is off the field. Absolutely. Mike, let's get into ULM. We both had our uh, predictions for the game go out on Horns 24 7. If you haven't uh, checked it out, I, you know, encourage you to do that because. We put some uh, we put some pen to paper on those. We both had Texas covering, I believe. Correct. Yeah, I thirty-eight think point spread. I'm usually the more uh, I think the more uh, conservative one on our staff when it comes to scores, and I went with the highest score, um, which surprised me. I figured some people would go higher than they did. I just I, I had them sixty-three thirteen with a win this week. I think that. If you look at what they did to Rice last year, anytime they get yeah. a team like this, they will – I mean, Sark showed in kind of the limited sample size, he will take that opportunity to bloody them as much as possible. And with as easily as, as they can scheme big plays, you know, they score quickly and they can, they can, you know, string them together in bunches. I think that if you're looking for the recipe for a big score this week, I think it starts with a couple of big Bijan Robinson touchdown runs. I think you've got a long Xavier Worthy touchdown in there. I think you've probably got a special teams touchdown of some sort, whether that be on return or on a block punt or something like that. Um, and I think it very easily, you know, I, remembering that Tech game last year, it got to like 42 so quickly in the first half that you knew there was no way they were just going to stop at that point, and they And they really didn't. So – um, I've got them winning big. I, 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 maybe I'm, maybe I'm drinking too much Kool-Aid on this, but, uh, the, those are my thoughts on the game. I mean, I don't think so at all. The only thing that kind of worries me about them covering the spread is that, and it's 38, I believe right now for anybody listening, the only thing that makes me worry about that is just that if it is raining a ton and you're just breaking, uh, momentum going in and out of the locker room to where, you know, it makes it a little bit easier just to take a 35 to seven win because the game extends for four hours or whatever. That's the only thing that makes me yeah, think they yeah. won't cover as far again. And I'm going to eventually have a gambling column out, which I believe people will be listening. But one of my favorite bets is 
I love Texas uh, minus 22 and a half in the first half. I love Texas team total right now. It's at uh, 30 and a half, which I love. And I think that first quarter, 10 and a half, anything where you're just getting up on them early, because I think we see a ton in these Texas versus lower G5 games. The, the schools kind of creep into it when the threes are playing in the fourth quarter. So I may not, I might not feel the best about just 38 because some weird stuff can happen. If Louisiana Monroe scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, when the game's already out of reach, I think that's tough. But when the ones are going against the ones, I don't see a, as again, as long as the game's clean, the rain isn't too bad. um, I don't see a way that Texas uh, doesn't cover to be completely frank. And honestly, Mike, I think, one of the intriguing things is going to be seeing how long Steve Sarkeesian lets Quinn Ewers get reps. I would assume that he'd play longer than your average uh, QB one, just considering that he kind of needs as much game action as he can get before Alabama comes to town next week. Yeah, I think so. Here's how, you know, I'm not, I dabble in gambling every once in a while. Here's how, you know, I'm not a real degenerate gambler. I did not even take the weather into account. Uh, when I looked at this game, I didn't even – I'm a guy that rarely checks the weather, which maybe I should more because I work outside a lot. And I was all planning on going to this Thursday night game, and I'm watching it just pour rain here right now. Yeah. Uh, but I was uh, – well, I'm actually going to the game on Saturday, and I saw somebody in our prediction thread say something about weather, and it was the first time it occurred to me that it might not be perfect weather. Um, so I do think that that is a consideration, especially if you get into lightning delays or something like that. But – Man, in the end, I just – I don't know. I I think it would – okay, so let me ask you this. Along the lines of our best-case, worst-case talk, like how concerned would you be, even if it's a weather game, if it's like 35-13 or, or 27-17 or something like that? It's tough because you know what's a game that haunted me in the moment more than anything, uh, Mike, is that Tulsa game where I believe – I believe it finished 28 to 21. It was right after the Maryland result. And I just thought that that team was broken and it ended up, that was one of the better Texas teams of the past decade, probably the best to be completely honest. So obviously that's a little bit of a sugar bowl team, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Obviously, that's a different team. Tom Herman would play a one-possession game with the Liberty uh, Panther JV team, right? Like, that is just a different style of coaching. But I don't know. It, it, it'd be hard not to be super concerned, to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, I – yeah, I don't know. I don't want to think about what our board would look like after that. Because um, then you go to the, into the UTSA game with genuine – you know, uh, like, obviously, we're, we, we're going to get to UT, say we respect them a ton, but you'd go into that game more fearful than, you know, cautious. Yeah, sorry, I'm um, at my parents' house, and all three dogs just knocked down the door into the office and uh, have come in here and joined the show. So um, if you hear some heavy panting on the, on the stream, it's not me. It's uh, Trooper, Ranger, and Winston. It's, it's um, Ranger the Husky. Yeah, Ranger the Husky, and he's going to sit right here next to me for the show. Um, Mike, let's just go to the Alabama game. I know that we've been pessimistic. I'm going to phrase it like this, uh, just to get the positive juices flowing. Texas can win the game 
if this happens. And again, you can't say, you know, if a meteor strikes Tuscaloosa, like you can't do any of those. I'm excited about this because I want to dream. Dreaming is fun. It's awesome. It's, it's how many times great. have you and I said to each other, like, it's not going to happen. But can you imagine yeah. what that Saturday night will be like if Texas pulls off a win in Austin? Yeah, I get to talk to Jonte Cook and Malik Muhammad after the DeSoto sock game and give them the good news. It, it'd be incredible. Yeah, I think, man, I, yeah, I think if you're looking at a Texas wins, if the recipe for beating Alabama is you've got to play a near perfect game. So yep. that means taking care of the ball. That means no stupid penalties. That means, you know, executing when you have a chance, no, no drops or, or anything like that. And then you've got to hope a couple of things go your way. Maybe you get a, maybe you force a turnover or two that leads to a score. Maybe you have a return on special teams. Those are the, the things that have in the past led to Windsor, Alabama. I mean, it's, it's not as simple. It, it's not as simple as I made it sound. Uh, yeah. to pull all those things off. But it, at the same time, um, you know, it's not, it doesn't take a superhuman effort by everybody on the team. It just takes everybody doing the right thing, which is a, a lot harder said than, or a lot easier said than done. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, that's what it would have to take. My, my thoughts are, I think that first you have to establish super early that you're able to stop the run. And then, it kind of comes down to whether Bryce Young is on. Because if he has a Joe Burrow 2019 LSU type performance in DKR, you have to tip your cap. But if he falters like he did in uh, College Station last year, then who knows what can happen. And then on offense, I think you just need one of your two, maybe potentially three-headed monster of uh, Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy, or Quinn Ewers to have a statement and potentially even a Heisman breakout type game. I think that's the recipe. A lot of things have to go well. And to be completely honest, the one the, the building block on it of stopping the run is the one that I'm the most concerned about and why I kind of don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think like your point about the, the three-headed monsters big, I think those guys, I would even say to beat Alabama, this roster as it's constructed, you need all three of those guys playing at a high level. Yeah. I mean, simply, you need Quinn Ewers playing at a high level to get the ball to Xavier Worthy so that he can play at a high level. And then, you know, Bijan's got to do his thing. I, I also think if you look back at even what Texas A&M did to him, you are going to need a better-than-usual performance out of your offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. Especially considering this is an offensive line that will likely have uh, two to three freshmen potentially going against Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, and the boys. So that that's a bit of a t- <laughs> that's a bit of a tough one. Um, I guess last thing on the Alabama game too. It, it, I've gotten some complaints from listeners, fans about this framing because obviously. You know, Texas is one of the most proud and storied football programs in the country. So any type of moral victory uh, framing is going to be kind of taken a certain type of way. But if Texas can hang close with Alabama with a ton of 2024 elite and 2025 uh, recruits in attendance, the shot in the arm that that would do for recruiting would just be massive. We've made the uh, the parallel of like the Notre Dame Florida State game last year where it was seen as a massive win loss. Can I mention another parallel real quick? Yeah. 
just because I mentioned the Tulsa, Texas game, do you remember on that same night when A&M played really close with Clemson? Yeah. I mean, it's the same type of thing. Um, it's showing incremental steps. And college football is so funny because we take history and status into account so much as a global look rather than what is the this team constitute, you know, how are they built? And you don't do that in any other sport. You don't say, well, the Dallas Cowboys have won five Super Bowls. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. To the Jets this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like it's 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 looked at in that way. And I think you have to take a more micro look at it and say, how is this team built this year? How is this program progressing in the early weeks? And how is you know, how are we measuring our success against one of the top teams in the nation um, in this season? Yeah. All right, Mike, I think we're kind of on the same page with Bama. That next week, Jeff Trailer and the boys had one of our one of the programs that we really do like so much. Um, and uh, I, I hate almost framing it like that, so I'm sorry. It's not only that we like them, but truly just objectively respect for what he's done at you know Texas San Antonio in such a short amount of time. When this game was scheduled, I don't think that it was nearly such a certainty that this would be the tough game that we think it's going to be. I, I still assume Texas will be probably favored by two scores or more, but goodness gracious, this is not the easy task that um, a lot of people think it is. No. And I think, look, I love Jeff trailer. You know, he's a friend of mine. I can say that. Like, I, I don't want anybody to, to think that, you know, I'm, I'm hiding something like that. Like he is, you know, we covered him in high school. Yeah. Same with Joey McGuire. We'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, I think I believe next. Uh, we think that, you know, there's I, I'm rooting for Jeff and Joey and any high school coach that makes it into college. I think they're good people and I think that they deserve a lot. I I think you're right. Nobody expected this to be a team that was a 10 win team, won a conference USA title, beat a big a power five team in Illinois last year, who's not yeah. you know the great the best, but going into Illinois and winning that game was huge for, for Absolutely. Jeff USA especially when you look at what they can recruit with and everything. It's a dangerous game for Texas. I don't – I wouldn't have it as a loss if we were going game by game here. But it's also one of uh, kind of a, uh, as the kids say, F around and find out. Yeah. Type of game. Absolutely. Um, so I, I do think that it does come down at some point to like a talent thing of – is there anybody on UTSA's roster that can run with and tackle Bijan Robinson? I'm not yeah. sure. You know, and, and that's that covered Xavier Worthy. I'm not sure. And that's the th that's honestly my big take for this game is that if Texas's offense is firing on all cylinders and it's the nuclear um, 2021 going against Texas Tech type offense, I don't think UTSA can win. But if the like you said, if the offense is effing around, they're going to they're going to find out um, because I think that Jeff Trailer and that offensive staff has proven that they have really competent game plans, and I think that they're going to come into Austin off of you know Texas's game against Alabama, ready to put some points on the board. So it's going to be about if the Texas offense can kind of match it. And there's nobody better in my – there probably are, but I think Jeff is up there in an elite league of getting his guys to ready for a game, 
getting his guys prepared to play for him, to run through a wall, all those types of things. And there is no underestimating what beating Texas does for that program. It is a game that they will hang their hat on for the rest of their existence. They will, you know, you've got maybe some big booster yeah. donations that could come through and really help to elevate that program based off of when they're, so they're going to get UTSA's best shot. And it's not, like I said, it's not, a, you're coming off of Alabama and a lot of people will tell you that, man, Alabama has the capability of beating you two weeks in a row because they can beat you up. They can beat you up mentally and they can put you in a bad position. If Texas comes kind of, depending on how that Alabama games goes, if they come kind of, uh, reeling out of that and, and dealing with some injuries, it's, you know, you're not going to get UTSA's mercy. One final point before we head to the conference slate. We are in the Texas sphere talking a lot about Texas. I'm wondering almost how UTSA would respond. They play Houston um, week one and then army, I believe the next week on the road uh, at West point. So part of me wonders too, what is this UTSA gonna team going to be like in their own non-conference slate, right? They have their own kind of issues that they could be dealing with. And if they're 2-0, and then it's going to be uh, a little bit tough. But there's a realistic shot that they're 0-2, even though we do like that program so much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something very interesting to look at on the other side of the coin. I think that, you know, they've got probably the toughest non-conference slate in the – Maybe not the country, but certainly in the state, when you look at facing a, a really good Houston team, an Army team that's tricky, and a Texas team that's going to outman you, I think that Jeff is uh, he's scheduling like he's a South Oak Cliff at this point, or one of those types of teams. It's like let's just let's get as ready as we can for the for the season, um, and and that certainly could have its own set of effects on them. So. Again, I don't see it being a loss for Texas. I do think they will take care of business in that game, but it's a tricky one. It's not quite as tricky. Well, okay, I'll ask your opinion on this. Is it as tricky as Louisiana Monroe, or I'm sorry, Louisiana Lafayette last year? I think less tricky. That, I mean, because too that, that yeah that that Lafayette team ended up going what like eleven and one. Yeah, yeah, eleven and one. Which I mean, what was UTSA was ten and three last year? I think. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, th- I would call it slightly less tricky, but it's in that it's in that realm, I think, of where you know when you start looking on, uh, looking at G five teams that can beat you with scheme and a couple of athletes who can do a little bit more than you thought they could, UTSA is in that realm. Mike, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors before we head on to the rest of the show. All right, and we're back, and we're into the conference slate. Texas goes on the road to Lubbock on September 24th to take on Joey McGuire and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Oh boy, Mike, this is the start to conference slate. I love opening with Tech. This is um, always one of my favorite games in the season. It is one that I do hope that when Texas makes the move to the SEC, I believe they might have already committed to a non-conference slate, but I want to keep this one. It's always a great, I think, measuring stick. A little bit conference-wise because, you know, we've seen what Lubbock is on a on a Saturday, and those games in Lubbock are always ones you have to worry about. Even when Texas and – and I think for the most part, we think of Tech as like a, a tough rival for Texas because they've had some huge moments in that rivalry, you know, 
08 and a couple wins here and there. I think if we went back and looked, and I'm, I'm doing this completely off the cuff, I think Texas has kind of owned that rivalry for the last decade, uh, maybe probably two decades. Um, so it, it may be not as tough as we perceive it, but man, you talk about a guy in the same mold as Jeff Trailer, who can get his guys to believe, who can get his guys to play for him, and will get his guys ready for a big game. And you know, when you're Texas, everybody, you're everybody's Super Bowl, especially in Lubbock, especially against. Oh Texas yeah. Tech. And man, if that game is somehow like a 6 p.m. or something like that, it's going to be even more wild. I I think. It was it was kind of the measuring stick for me for them going into conference last year, and they dispatched of, I think a, a dead a dead uh, a dead duck or lame sorry lame duck, uh, coach and Matt Wells coming into Austin. But this is going to be a tech team with a lot of energy under Joe McGuire. Uh, I do think that they've got a scheme with Zach Kitley uh, that's going to be a lot more challenging to defend, and they've got some athletes to do it. Man, a couple of years ago. Texas Tech put together, I call probably the best wide receiver class in the conference. I mean, they signed guys like Loic Fungi and, you know, they've got Miles Price. They've got Jaron Bradley. They've got a lot of dudes that can make plays with the ball in their hands. So, so it's a, I think that's a really tricky one for Texas, especially being in, in Lubbock. Mike, it feels like a points fest in one of those early season games to where Texas is really going to we're, we're going to find out a lot, like you mentioned. I'm extremely intrigued to see how good Texas Tech looks because I do think, to be blunt, on on paper, Texas has a much better roster, right? So they should be able to go on the road and get a win. But with this Texas team, not, you, you can't take anything for granted. And it's just, again, if we were going game by game, yeah, we'd probably both have a win here. But it's not like we feel – you know, tremendous about it. Yeah. I, and I think Texas should have the talent advantage on everybody on their schedule, not named Alabama and maybe Oklahoma. I mean, those are the two schools that can probably stand with them on what they've done in recruiting. But as we've seen, that doesn't automatically translate to a bunch of wins. And so um, I think that, like I mentioned, the scheme itself is one thing that would worry me if I was if I was a Texas fan is what we've seen from Zach Kitley at the lower levels at Western Kentucky at Houston Baptist, and then with the weapons he's going to have to work with. Can he get his quarterbacks up to speed? Has Tech announced a starter yet? Do you know? I believe it's uh, Tyler Shuck. Yeah, okay. So Tyler Shuck again, which I don't think Texas had many problems with him last year before they no. knocked him out of the game. In fact, I think they picked six team at some point. Um, Honestly, Henry Columbia was kind of the one that was dead. Yeah. And I think Donovan Smith poses some threats. Is he still there? Or did he transfer? He is. He okay. is. He's still there. So he's still there. Baron Morton's got a lot of talent. They've got some guys that can do it. And like I mentioned, their, their weapons are really good. My thing is, what's their defense going to look like? Because Texas, yeah. if you go and look at that game last year, even more so than like Rice, Texas had no issue scoring on that Texas Tech defense last year. It felt like an NCAA 14 game where you're kind of in the back of your head going, okay, but in real life you wouldn't score on every possession. And uh, it just did. did. It just took off from the fourth down when they ran the touchdown play where they uh, – It was, yeah, the railroad uh, concept where, uh, again, you, you always say it's a direct deposit. It's always there. Bijan Robinson, the first read – 
really great throw. And I, I, I the first time that that plays run this year, and they hit uh, Beige on the, uh, they call it railroad or just you know the tailback rail. A lot of other people would call it the. Um, you know, running back wheel route. It really does feel like it's always open, and I'll make sure to clip it and tag you in it, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorites. And how defenses don't account for the best player on the field every time, um, and he seems to be wide open. I know it's schemed that way, but it, it, it's just hilarious to me. It's like we're not going to have one guy keep his eyes on number five. Yeah, and, and this is me nerding out too, but I always love it too because a lot of times they'll run it into the uh, short side of the field, the boundary, and they'll have – uh, Bijan Robin, Robinson on the, um, again, the short side, the boundary side. So it's just even that much more obvious, like, yo, he's six yards away from the sideline linebacker. If you're going to carry him up the field, you you better get some actual depth. And they just never do. Yeah, and they never see it coming. Um, so, yeah, it was from that moment it took off, and, and I thought that they scored with ease, even through an, a defensive touchdown. I want to say, did they have a kick return all the way? Or I think Jamison may return. Uh, get, yeah, I, I was about to say, I feel like he had a return. I can't remember if it got called back or not. I think he ended up getting knocked out at like the two or the three. That was a specific thing for you on our specific things draft. Yeah, absolutely. So we're rooting for it. Uh, rooting for it again. West Virginia, I'm kind of buying this West Virginia team. They do not have a very high uh, over-under. I believe it was at five and a half. We'll find out a lot tonight when the backyard brawl kicks off as they play number 17 pit. But JT Daniels staying healthy feels almost impossible. If he gets to game five, it'll be very intriguing to see what this West Virginia team looks like. Cause I think there is a, you know, scenario where they exceed expectations early and that might even be a fringe top 25 game in Austin. I think I think like Texas, very much like Texas, West Virginia is so boom and bust this year. They kind of remind me of Tech last year, of where is this the year that they come in with a little bit of hype? You know, remember last year everybody was talking about the Tech defenses for real this year? Yeah. All those sorts of things. And and in the end, it was just like you knew that afternoon Austin, Matt Wells was getting canned. Is Yeah. Neil Brown, I think, is probably coaching for his job this year. Which I, I just hate because I do think that Neil Brown is a good coach, and I don't think that Dana Holgerson really left that. Like, I think Dana Holgerson realized that, okay, um, you know, Will Greer and a lot of my guys are leaving, and it seems like we're getting a large amount of kids leaving for the portal, so I'm just ducking for Houston. So, I, I again, I – I feel bad for Neil Brown because I do respect him a lot as a football mind. And I think that he honestly, he does a pretty good job on the recruiting trail as well. Um, he's a big time proponent of a lot of the international guys. He got Rodney Gallagher, uh, which is a top, I believe a top two, four, seven prospect over, I believe in-state pin, uh, you know, in-state program for him, Penn state. So like, I don't know. I like Neil Brown a lot. And I, the only thing I don't like is that, you know, the pathway to, success for him this year is relying on JT Daniels. Yeah, I mean it's it's the condition of college football anymore, but he's just not gonna have enough time. I don't think they're gonna give him. I think given time, if somebody would give him the Matt rule plan and say, look, you have five or six years or whatever it is to no matter what you want to do, we're going to stick with you and try to build this, then I think Neil Brown could be successful. What are are we in year three or four of him? We're in year three. 
And, and again, it does suck too, because like you're, you're kind of hinting at too, and we've talked about off right. You're right that like West Virginia's recently had success. So it's almost like a sneaky rebuild. It's not like this is Iowa State in Matt Campbell. Yeah, I mean, like he's 17 and 18 at West Virginia. I think that that's obviously you'd like to see a better record there. Uh, but when you look at, you know, some of the things he's done, if you look at process a little bit of a result, I think the process is there. I think that, you know, a five and seven season in year one, and then I believe they had, uh, what were they? Uh, I think maybe six and six, something like that in, in year two. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can build it, but my big question is what, what difference does, um, does Graham Harrell make for this team? A guy that I think if you talk to people around the country has a very polarizing reputation as an offensive coordinator, right? When he went to USC, he was seen as this young, bright coordinator who could do a lot with the air raid and, and all those sorts of things. But there are people at North Texas who will tell you that he was failing in North Texas and kind of failed his way up to USC. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of his influence and, you know, what he can do with this offense. And like you said, we're going to get to see it firsthand this weekend in a uh, in a much anticipated – everybody's talking about backyard brawl, and I love it. It's so exciting. I believe first time back since 2011. Was that the um, – man, who was the, the pit quarterback that cussed on television? Oh, I, I know who you're talking about, and I'm blanking. I'm sorry. Was All that, I remember is – Was that in the backyard brawl game? I, I think so. All I remember, not all I remember, but the main takeaway is just Dave Wanstott just having that, uh, you know, dad, dad drip for Pitt. Oh, yeah. There's somebody in the car punching the steering wheel right now, like yelling the guy's name and being like, no, it was actually against this against Virginia Tech. And, um, but <laughs> we're just we're just doing our thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, th- those are my big questions. But I do like Texas being at home in that game. I think that's another one. It's sure. a lot like Iowa State where my opinion of them swings a lot more when they're at home versus when they're more than town. Absolutely. Potential spot for a look ahead maybe with the Red River uh, shootout the next week, but I don't know. I I kind of doubt that this Texas team will be looking ahead to anybody. We're going to look at – we're going to go right now to the Red River shootout, though. Probably the most excited I've been for one since the 2018 one to be completely honest, uh, I'm so intrigued to see what Oklahoma looks like with Brent Venables. I, I do like Jeff Levy a lot, but I'm not as convinced on Dylan Gabriel as the rest of the country, I don't think. I'm with you, and I'm fully prepared for like three weeks in being like, okay, well, I was very wrong about Dylan Gabriel. And <laughs> yeah, for everybody. sure. Ranger, chill out. Um, I'm very sorry to everybody. Uh, but I, I'm with you, and I think that that's what makes this a fascinating matchup. Is Texas kind of in its perpetual rebuild in this, in you know, version 4.0 of what this rebuild is going to look like, and and at least viewed on the up versus a team in Oklahoma that we've known what they are for so many years, and we've known what to expect in that game for so many years and just not knowing at all what we're going to get out of them this year. I mean, I think if you ask me what does a Brent Venables team look like in year one, I think they're going to play good, sound, fundamental defense. I think they've got the bodies to do it. 
My question, and look, they've got the right guy in Jeff Levy calling plays for sure, um, but they lost a ton in the portal. I mean, losing Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and Austin Stogner and yeah. guys that made their offense go, it's like how easily are they going to replace those guys? Here's my thing, too. I'm not completely sure that we're going to have a well-rounded view of what Oklahoma looks like when they take the field at the Cotton Bowl. Their non-conference, if Nebraska is a sub-500 team, their non-conference slate is pretty atrocious. They have a UTEP team that we just watched North Texas handle. They have Kent State, who's a decent MAC program, but again, that's two G5 programs. And then you have at Nebraska, which we're not exactly sure that's going to be the intriguing game we thought it was preseason. Then the other two games before Texas, you have a home game against Oklahoma, uh, sorry, <laughs> against Kansas State. Um, Kansas State is a trendy pick, but I think we're going to get to later that we're not as high on the Wildcats as others. And then I'm personally selling stock in uh, TCU, and I have a TCU uh, under on my ticket for futures. So I- I'm not completely convinced that if Oklahoma's 5-0 and going into that game that they have a they've they have a ton that they've really proven. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair statement. There, it seems like their schedule is a little backloaded uh, with the teams that are really going to test them. And so, what will that statement really say? I mean, if they lose, I, I would almost bet. I mean, a lot of times Oklahoma rolls into that game undefeated. I would almost bet they're not undefeated at some point that they'll trip up early. Maybe it's you know, a a lazy Saturday performance against Kansas State, something like that. But I think that it's a game that not only will we not know a ton about them when we get to to the second Saturday in October, I think we're going to know a ton about them until the season's over and we can really look back at the totality of everything. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the truth, too, of like how every season should be judged. Like, hey, let's just wait for – uh, the end of the year, right? Because then we can have these fully formed opinions, but it's like, nah, let's get these takes off. Speaking of takes, I want you to grade this one. I love the if, takes. If you're a Texas fan, again, grade this take for me. If you're a Texas fan, you'd rather Oklahoma be undefeated heading into the game than have already tripped up. Yes. Yeah. You want to beat an undefeated Oklahoma team. I mean, it's – you want to be their first their first loss – you want a, a win over an undefeated and probably, what would you say, at least top 10 team. Uh, maybe top oh, yeah. 10. If they're undefeated, for sure. Uh, you, you want to get that on your resume. Um, yeah, absolutely. You want them undefeated. Sorry, Mike. I was on mute as I was uh, to, clicking around on the computer. I don't know. Are there any other – questions you really have about the Sooners before we move on I I, it's kind of a tough team to really handicap because again like you mentioned at the beginning this is the first time in how many years that we don't have a fully formed idea of what this team's going to look like and what this program's going to really look like what do you think a what is do you have Vegas odds in front of you yes I do I can look up anything you want what is their win total for this year do you know I believe it was it was lo- much lower than people thought. Uh, I believe I'm looking right now. I, I want to say, Mike, it was like uh, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Yeah, nine and a half with the uh, with it basically being even both ways. 
So the lowest win total for Oklahoma that I can remember, to be honest, because I mean, we've kind of mentioned it most years, they're 10 and a half or 11. So you're in Vegas, sports gun to your head. They've got Athena. Oh no, my my sweet dog. Tied up somewhere and they're like, you've got to win this bet. We got the the Martians at the death ray pointed at, at the planet. Are you going over or under? I'm I'm asking if I can take the alternate regular season wins under ten and a half for minus three thirty, and they're like, no, of course not, dummy. This this is. Um, I would take the over because it's Oklahoma, and if everything is truly on the line, I'm not betting against them. Now, I do think that if you set the like I said, if you set the win total at 10 and a half, which I'm seeing an alternate line for. I think that's a pretty easy, I think that they will lose twice. It's just. I think they can lose three times, but I think that they can also find their way into the big 12 championship, which gives them another game bowl game. When you look at that total, it's, it's hard to go under, but I think I could see them as a nine and three regular season team. Shoot. I mean, Mike, we've kind of talked about this off air. If everything goes wrong, I think their worst-case scenario – we mentioned worst-case scenarios for Texas. The worst-case scenario for Oklahoma, I think, could easily be like a 7-5 and five team. Like, there's so yeah. much uncertainty that I, I think that there's a legit chance that could happen. But, again, for the best-case scenario, I think that 11-1 and one could also happen for them. Yeah, I just don't know what – I don't know what the worst-case scenario – I don't know anything about them. And I, yeah. They're one of the teams that I am really – I didn't watch the spring game because I don't like watching spring. I don't even like watching the Texas spring game. Um, I am really interested to see what their first couple weeks of football looks like. And that'll probably be a team that as I'm watching other games, I I might make an effort each week to go back and rewatch Oklahoma's game just to kind of see what they are, because ultimately that's been the measuring stick in the conference. Absolutely. Um, Let's see, before we move on, to Iowa State. Let's take another quick break and then roll through the rest of the Big 12 slate. We're back again. Matt Campbell's Cyclones are headed to Austin. I believe Hunter Deckers will be the QB. I'll I'll, I'll start it off this. We, We have been a little bit cautious. I'm very not nervous about this Iowa State team, to be completely honest. Like, I don't know. What'd you say? At all. Yeah, okay. I didn't know if that was a potentially hot take or not, but I, a lot of Iowa State teams in the past, I've given them their respect. I did. I've never been the highest on Brock Purdy, but like Brees Hall, a lot of those guys, like it, it was impressive. I do think that Heacock runs an extremely good defense and really is kind of tailor made for what the Big Twelve is now. But nothing about this Iowa State team, as I'm looking at them, is particularly daunting. Yeah, I mean, Texas is, uh, I believe, 14-5 and five, uh, from what I'm seeing here against Iowa State all time. And I think we make them out to be a bigger boogeyman than they are because they've been sure. the bigger boogeyman in this past decade um, when it popped up and in, in, in 2010 and things like that. But I think for the most part, I'm, I'm just scanning the history here. Texas handles business against Iowa State in Austin and usually does it at a pretty impressive rate. Now, in Ames, they've dropped some real clunkers, um, sure. including last year. Uh, I think, God, they've been, they've been shut out names, <laughs> which was a, a low point of the Charlie Strong 
uh, you know, kind of tenure. Um, but man, as I look over this, they've really not had many problems with them in Austin. So I, I think, you know, for me, I don't see this as an issue. I think they are turning over a lot. And the bigger picture for Iowa State, and I, and this is just a fun college football discussion point, really has not a lot to do with Texas, but I love it. Is Matt Campbell going to do the thing where he passes up all these jobs and then find himself in a position to where suddenly things aren't going as well anymore and he's lost all those opportunities? It's one of those things to where we'll never know the true answer, in my opinion, because, you know, there will be a lot of uh, debate between people in the know on whether he passed up those jobs and now he's just missed out or if he really meant what he said. And, you know, while he maybe looked and applied for some other jobs, he was always going to stay at Iowa State. And if that's the case. Huge credit to them to him because I want more college football coaches like that. You're making four plus million dollars a year, I believe, at Iowa State. It's not like the monetary value of taking, you know, the Nebraska job or wherever else is that much more. So if he does stick at Iowa State forever, honestly, credit to him. But yeah, it's definitely a point of this was a guy that people thought was going to be the next coach of Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, and he might be in Ames, Iowa for the rest of his career, which again, he's getting paid hands- handsomely for it and has he a really good program. It. He seems to enjoy yeah. it in Ames, Iowa. So good for him if he does. Exactly. I will say this while I'm selling on this Iowa State team this year, if Matt Campbell stays uh, in Ames with the Cyclones, I am buying stock on them long term because JJ Cole, they're, uh, their commit in the 2023 class, I think is a legitimately fantastic QB who Ohio state was kind of sniffing around before they ended up taking a pledge from somebody else. I believe maybe Brock Glenn. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I don't know. I I'm buying long-term stock in Iowa state. If Matt Campbell stays, because I think JJ Cole is a much better long-term NFL prospect than even Brock Purdy was. Yeah, I mean, and for Iowa State, let's be let's be clear. They win most of their games, and they've won every Texas game by their advantage. By if they can win the line of scrimmage, and that's kind of yep. they've been able to kind of punk Texas up front. We'll see if that'll be the difference. I mean, to me, I, it, rotate out your Brees Halls or your uh, oh, I'm trying to remember who the running back was before him that. Um, that was that terrified the rest of NCAA as well. That was with Purdy early on. Uh, you know, they, they seem to rotate out skill guys, but their, their guys up front seem to win the battles. And, and those are kind of the big things for them. I look, I think it's kind of fair to say with every game on the schedule, they lost Kansas last year and they've done it twice in the last 10 years. I think it's fair to say with every game, look, Texas could absolutely lose this game, but I, I, I see them taking care of business here in Austin. Mike, was it David Montgomery? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Okay. Fantastic player, but I I couldn't remember exactly if that was uh, correct. But, all right, I think that's about it on Iowa State. Let's move on to the next game, and it is probably even more than the Red River shootout, one that I'd say second on the list I'm putting as a potential loss. At Oklahoma State, I know that Oklahoma State lost their defensive coordinator to Ohio State, but they brought in Derek Mason. 
I know people don't like Spencer Sanders, but again, he is the most experienced QB in the league. I'm, I think that Oklahoma State's probably my favorite to win the Big 12 this year. Yeah, when you look at what Mike Gundy has done there, and I know that, well, I mean, he's been safe since Boone Pickens uh, is no longer with us, but um, <laughs> RIP. the years that people like wanted to run Mike Gundy out of Oklahoma State, I'm just like, this guy is doing things at this program that are kind yeah. of unheard of. Well, the, again, it's just like, look at the program success, you know, that Gandhi's brought there that really wasn't there before him. And I know Les Miles was the head coach, but I believe Gundy's basically had three or four years better than the best that Les Miles ever had at Oklahoma State. So you're right. I never understood the running out Mike Gundy. I mean, he was a you know, he was he had a team that would probably have in the playoff era competed for a national title. Absolutely. I mean, how close was he that, that many times that he had Oklahoma State and BCS and, and all those sorts of things? I think that when you look at, you know, what he's done there, it's insane to me that people uh, would want to run him up. And he gives you that coaching advantage each and every year. Now, I think um, – Last year, Texas had that. We, we talked about it. I was there. We've rewatched the game. They had that game in hand. Sark mentioned it in a press conference, which out of the blue, when he mentioned this in a press conference, I was like, oh, this game's haunting him a little. And not in the bad sense, but in a good way of like that game's motivating him. When he mentioned the Casey Thompson pick six that completely flipped that game on its head, when I went back and watched, I almost had erased from my memory how easily Texas was kind of cruising on a team that was, what, three inches away from a playoff in the Big 12 title game. Like, they were – their running back making a decisive cut and getting into the end zone at the one-yard line away from being a playoff team. Yeah. I mean, it was a – it's the thing I talk about so much, man, is that that first-year Sark team was so close to being a really good – probably eight and four team that you're really excited about because of the teams they could have beat uh, that year and, and really turning the big 12 upside down. And uh, you know, it just wasn't, you got to finish and they didn't do it, but yeah, I think um, Oklahoma state's always tough. They're tough in Stillwater, Texas. It's kind of been a nightmare place for them. Um, now the last time they went to Stillwater, they did get a big <laughs> win in a weird, very weird game. Yeah. And shout out to Joseph Osai. I've got to say this, man, and as a, it hurts me to say as a charter member of the Spencer Sanders fan club when he was in high school is you never know what you're going to get with Spencer Sanders. He could light Absolutely. you up and he could hand the other team the game. Yep. Um, here's, I think, a good way to put the Oklahoma State game. We're very pessimistic about Bama, right? I think that if Texas is playing a B to – a minus game they can absolutely go on the road to Stillwater and win it's not like I think Texas has to play a perfect game to beat Oklahoma State because like you said Spencer Sanders there are a lot of other elements to where I do think there's some variance in how this result would go so while I would probably have it as a loss if we were going game by game not nearly as pessimistic as Bama to where I'm almost chalking it down as a L. I mean, again, we just talked about how last year's Texas team took what I think was a better Oklahoma State squad and really kind of manhandled them for a half before a pick six and a second half collapse led to a, I believe, a one-score loss. 
again, just not being able to extend drives and give your defense a break and all those things that, that we talked about. I don't think Oklahoma State scored an offensive touchdown in that game until the fourth quarter. Goodness gracious. I want to mention one thing on Oklahoma State before we head out, and I think it's something that you'll kind of agree with. Sneaky, such a great recruiting team. Like, they do a really good job finding guys, and I think the TCU under Gary Patterson got a ton of credit, but that Gundy should get maybe a little bit more than he does. I mean, the, uh, it's the is it Brendan or Brennan Presley who's on roster right now? I think it's Brendan. Okay. He was a guy that during his recruitment, I just really loved. And when he got to campus, it was just so easy to see that spot. They just do such a good job, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what I wanted to kind of close out with. We mentioned on the state of the recruiting last night on one of your three takeaways that Texas uh, commit Billy Walton really stood out to you. I mean, Texas was a late push away from Billy Walton ending up in Stillwater and probably terrorizing them for four years. There's one more kid in the Oklahoma State class that Gabe Brooks, our buddy and co-worker, put us on that I genuinely think Texas should target, and that's Wake O'Connelly defensive back Jelani McDonald, who is made Andrew Ivan's freak list, is an absolute stud and somebody worth you know taking your time to go kind of look into his recruitment and his profile. Yeah, uh, athletics, athletic marks off the charts, testing all that kind of sort of stuff. So they generally do look, they're not going to recruit at the level of, oh yeah, my God, look at what they're doing in the team rankings, but they thrive in identifying guys for their system, putting them to use in their system and, and making players out of them. Yeah, they're not going to bag a five-star just for the, you know, flat, like, you know what I mean? But they are going to put together really solid classes and be in that top 25 to top 35 range every year, it feels like. So, I don't know. Uh, Heading on to the Texas bye week before they play Kansas State, and I don't think that the bye week is being talked about enough before the road trip to Kansas State. Like, I see that constantly circled as the – boogeyman uh game for texas it's gonna be tough for for sure like i do respect deuce vaughn a ton uh, um really was oh athena getting mad uh apologies i don't know I, I i'm just not as concerned about the kansas state game as others yeah i man i i guess i don't know i don't get where this kansas state stuff's coming from is it um uh, it's not Taylor Martinez. It's, it's Adrian. Adrian Martinez. Is it the Adrian Martinez thing that's got people all hot and bothered about Kansas State? But that's my thing is that you're, in my opinion, you're very clearly downgrading at QB. Like, Texas didn't play Skylar Thompson a ton. Uh, but, like, I mean, he, he went into the league and I believe ended up making a spot on the Dolphins roster. Like, I don't know. That's an NFL quarterback. If he didn't end up on the Dolphins roster, he'll probably end up on a practice squad because he was just really good. Like, I I don't understand that. I think that Chris Kleiman's a good coach, but again, it's hard for me to square watching a pretty decent Kansas State team walk into one of the more lifeless Texas teams and let Rashawn Johnson just beat them up for four quarters. Not to mention, if you look at a year before that, Texas scored 70, 70 in that game, didn't they? Uh, when Bijan Robinson just went crazy at the end of the yep. season. So, I mean, in the last couple of years, Texas has had their number. Um, and, and really, 
in a very like win up front against a Kansas State team that usually thrives like Iowa State on winning up front. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is going to be clipped and be put out on the internet for all of us to everybody to mock us uh, after they lose by 30 to Kansas State. But in Manhattan, tough, sure. But like, I don't know, man. I just I don't see where the hype's coming from on Kansas State. Here's the good thing for us right now is that we're, this won't be a video podcast. I normally only ever see the clipped video podcast. So again, if Texas, you know, gets their ass beat by Kansas State, it's not like, uh, yeah, Texas currently on a five-win win streak. Yeah. It felt that way, but I just wanted to double check because you never, you, like, you, you, you want to double check so you don't have the Colt McCoy stat that I threw out there like three shows ago. Um but, yeah, I don't know. I'm not viewing them as the boogeyman that a lot of other people are. I, I think Deuce Vaughn's great, but I think Deuce – like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not – They cannot live on Deuce Vaughn alone. You know what I mean? Um, to quote – to paraphrase the Bible. Um, I do think <laughs> you brought up the, the bye week is huge. It lets them get reset, and they're probably going to be, I would assume, kind of beaten up coming off that, that run. Um, and let you kind of get refocused and all those sorts of things going forward. So uh, we'll see. Do you remember when Remember when the bye week was last year? I don't off the top of my head. Because I'm, I'm always fat. I, think they, I do think there are coaches and teams that tend to do better off the bye week, um, and there are teams that come off less focused after the bye week. I, I'm trying to remember which one Sark was last year. I think if I recall, they had a bye probably after Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah, the, the bye was after Oklahoma state and, um, after the bye, they rattled off, uh, four losses. Okay. So, uh, you know, the small sample size, I mean, I yeah. doesn't look good right now. We'll see. And I don't think that three buys would have prevented what happened last no. year. No, they could have had a bye every other week. And I don't think, <laughs> you know, it's just, it is what it is. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, I will say, though, I feel like the schedule does set up pretty pretty nice for Texas on the back end because you then have a home game against TCU. I've mentioned I have an under on TCU. I'm really not buying uh, any sort of stock on this team. Hopefully – not hopefully, but maybe I'll get proven wrong and they'll be solid, but I don't know. I, I think the offense will probably be better under Son- Sonny Dykes. And it's not like Gary Patterson was calling great defenses to close out his TCU tenure, but I'm, I'm just not exactly thrilled with the direction that that program's going. I will say that they have weapons that should scare you. Um, Quentin Johnston is a game changer. The chief. I've heard, them. I've heard incredible things about uh, former Marshall receiver, Savian Williams, Marshall, Texas. Oh, that's awesome. I loved him as a recruit. Glad to hear yeah. that. I mean, Jordan Hudson has turned some heads in camp. Obviously, we saw him as a recruit last year. And I do think Guy, Guy Frazier, if he listens to this, will be smiling right now. I do think it sounds like uh, if they haven't announced it already and I've missed it. They're going to play three quarterbacks against Colorado. It sounds like Chandler Morris is the lead dog to win that job, though. Um, now, maybe that changes based on what happens in Colorado, but I do think Chandler <laughs> Morris gives you a ton of variance, whether it be good or bad, but there is more upside of what he can do for your offense than I think for what Max Duggan can do. My thing was, I, I thought, you know, the tangent, 
I thought that Jim Harbaugh doing the playing two quarterbacks in separate games was a little bit goofy. Playing three just feels kind of ridiculous to me. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, stop being so selfish, Sonny. Make a decision. I say that. I love Sonny. The, the little yeah. – the quick interactions I've had with him uh, over our career have been incredibly pleasant. He's an awesome dude. Um, I just – I'm with you in that I don't know what the, the direction is, and I guess we'll see this year. I mean, maybe we're underselling them. And, and, but, I mean – I for sure would be underselling them. If they're – if they um, – if they have a good year, I'll, I'll, you know, eat crow on that one. I think the offense has a chance to be really, really good because they've got the, That's the, the place in the scheme. I think if you watched them at SMU, they never put much of an emphasis on coaching defense. They just thought yeah. we will outscore everybody. So how does that work in, in the Big 12 now? And if you can't outscore anybody, then you run the risk of things getting out of hand quick. <laughs> Mike. I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm sorry for this, but it's just such a random name. I kind of have to. Can you name the third quarterback TCU is going to play? Do I know the name? Like Maybe. He was, covered. he was an out of state. No, not okay, a kid so you covered. Is he, he the was, kid they got from, like, Alabama or whatever? It's even weirder. It was the kid they got from the Chicago suburbs. Do you remember Sam Jackson? It was in a pretty loaded uh state of texas recruiting a uh, quarterback recruiting year he's in that 21 <laughs> class right i i think so and apparently he's looked good in camp so I they're gonna they have gotten a kid from alabama in that year because i remember talking to a coach at cedar hill who said well they could have had caden salter who wanted to go there but they took a kid from alabama yeah. so. so that that's kind of wild to me i don't get the playing three qbs if they lose against colorado on friday and play all three, that'll be a definite narrative uh, talking point. But um, the I don't game think that's going to happen. I think people are talking about this Colorado team not winning over two games this year. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe the Quentin Johnston um, receiving yards over. I think it's like 86 and a half. Maybe that's the play for week one because each quarterback will just be like, well, I know I can throw it up to him. Yeah, um, and – I, I, like I said, I, I do like the upside of their offense, especially if Chandler Morris takes control of that job. I just I, I got to see. And that said, man, their defense still has some dudes on it. For know. sure. They've I got mean, some guys in the secondary that can go, you know, so we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see. Um, I want to real quick, if you have anything else on TCU, I'd appreciate it because I want to look up their yeah. over under and kind of put you put you on the spot a little bit just to see exactly what it is. Guessing me guessing what their over under is or what you would take. So it's six and a half. I was going to say, is it six and a half? Maybe maybe seven and a half would, would be my guess. Oh, man, I'd have to look at their schedule kind of to see how it sets up, I think. But. So I believe it's uh, Colorado, SMU, and then one cupcake. I think there's a very good chance they go 3-0 in that stretch. Now, I did talk to uh, – at the SOC game last week, I talked to Kevin Henry Jennings, a quarterback for SMU, and Kyron Chambers, a DB for, for TCU, and um, each of them said that their team was going to win the Iron Skillet. So that's all I have Thank to go on with that analysis. But um, they win 3 I think they go over. I'd put, okay. I'd put them slightly over. Okay. And I and I have uh, TCU under six and a half. I should mention as well that the under six and a half is plus 130, while the over is uh, minus 170. So, you know, majority of uh, – it would be a lean to 
that number. I kind of hinted at it, Mike. The game I want to talk about least, Texas travels to Lawrence, Kansas on November 19th. Listen, the last time they lost in Lawrence, Kansas, I was there. And it was a painful, it was a painful trip in general, as going to Lawrence is. Um, I hate it. I hate all of this stuff because it's like, it, it's a punchline and it should be because if you get beat by a team like that, you should have to hear about it. On the other hand, I feel like it does rob Kansas a little bit of, and give them some credit and, um, you know, let them enjoy the moment more than, than anything. I, and I think that that comes back this year because all you're going to hear is the jokes. I, this should have been, this might've been a top three specific things draft pick that I just let walk off the board. Uh, but just tweets about the Texas revenge game. Um, yeah. Oh man. I had a different Kansas one, the revenge game thing, both ironic and some people probably being unironic. That, that's, that's cash. Do you remember when um, I think it was Herman? I, it would have had to be Herman, I guess. The reports of like he's just got the Kansas game playing in the facility all year long during the offseason. Like when they Man. again, uh, Tom Herman did a lot of really good things in Austin. So I don't want to just constantly kind of, you know, shit on him for lack of a better term. But he did some stuff to where it was like, dude, this is not like a CIA black site. Like, why are you feeding, like, why are you burning toast to kids and playing can like what like what what's going on, man? Yeah. Um yeah, I think like all those things are going to rev back up. The narratives are going to be big. And it's like, you know, even if Texas beats them by 30, the first time they've got a punt or they make a turnover or something. Yeah, exactly. So, but if, if, if the score is zero to zero and Quinn Ewers throws an interception on the opening drive, it's just every single cringy like, Oh my God, it's happening again. But as my friend uh, that you're familiar with, uh, as my friend Graham said, when we were doing season, uh, the season predictions and going game by game, three out of the last six years, or maybe three out of the last seven years, people have put the Kansas game as a free win and it's been competitive or a loss. So it's I'm like not saying- free spot on the bingo card. Everybody's like, well, we'll just cover that one up. Cause that's, I mean, we're all guilty of it. I think yeah, for sure. I was I was looking at the losing streak they were in the middle of, and I go, okay, well, they'll beat Kansas. Exactly. They'll do this, and it, it can't be anymore. And like you said, not only has it been – even in the years they've won, they've made it hard on them. The Dicker walk-off, which I believe I was there at, and it was one of the saddest crowd reactions to a win I've ever heard. Oh, my God, I forgot about that game. Uh, that was like unless a night. Miles, unless Miles literally just, again, just acting like a complete psych, like, good, goodness gracious. Was that so. the Puka Williams breakout game? I Honestly, I want to say that wasn't even that. And I might be wrong, but. Was it a night game? In Austin? It was a night game. Yes. I remember driving home from Houston. Uh, I had seen two Saturday games in Houston, listening to Craig Way on the radio the entire drive home going, uh, guys, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> like, and I mentioned that nobody indicates more like worry about the team in a professional way than yeah. Craig Way. But Craig Way the you know, GOAT. You just know Craig, when, when Craig starts on that run of like, okay, now first and 10, they're on the <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, now it's the 33. <laughs> 
That's when you get to the real, okay, Craig's concerned. <laughs> yeah. Puka Williams rattles off another 17-yard gain. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I remember that game. That was, a, that was a tough one. I didn't see it. So, I guess I, I'm not – the memory of the walk-off is not in my head because I listened to the game on the radio the entire way. It was like a 23-yard walk-off, too, so everybody know, knew it was going in. So, it was even less – like, yeah, awesome. An extra point for us to beat Kansas by three. And of course, you know, Tom Herman after the game's like, that's a tough team. That's a good, like, come on, dog. Winning's hard. Yeah. Oh, I legitimately think we might have gotten a winning is hard. And, you know, then there were like six message board posts that were like, listen, okay. I'll run him out of the state right now. We're like in full on goofing at this point. We've gone really long, and I I, I really enjoy not being the host because I feel like I just get to free wheel a lot more and just kind of give some takes. I'm going to give my take on winning is hard. Oh, yeah. Winning is hard. What he said is not wrong. Exactly. It's tough to go get wins each and every week in a sport like that. The problem is, as Texas, you just can't you just can't say it. That's the yeah exactly. Part. That's the quiet part you're saying out loud. Exactly, and like two, it's. A lot of the intent was, uh, was I think, correct of like, hey, don't disrespect this team. Like, this is a tough thing to do, right? But again, because it was Tom Herman, it was very like, I have my catchphrase. I have my cliche thing that I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it over and over again. When somebody like Nick Saban or, I don't know, one of the other elite coaches in the sport can just kind of go – in a little bit more detail or just be an ass about it of like, Hey, you think it's so easy to beat Mississippi state. Why don't you do it? Yeah, exactly. Um, I hate doing as much narrative talk around a game as we did Kansas. I like to kind of try to get a couple players named or, you know, what, how the scheme matchup would look like. So I'm a little bit upset about that, but honestly it's hard for Texas versus Kansas. It's hard not to just only focus on the narrative because Texas on paper, should beat them by 20-plus every year. Well, the kid they had last year at running back who was a freshman, uh, was Devon Neal, is that his name? Uh, uh, I believe so. He was a like their highest-rated recruit. He was a four-star running back out of Kansas, and boy, did he look the part. Yeah. Um, I think with Kansas each and every year, it's like, what does their quarterback situation look like? Yeah. And can that guy – and last year they had a guy that could make some plays and, and get out of the pocket – you know, do some things. And man, but Texas lost that. Never forget Devin Brown, uh, Ohio State, Ohio yeah. State quarterback Devin Brown telling me that he knew Texas was going to lose that game before it started because of the way everybody looked and acted in pregame. He was on his official visit uh, at that point. So that's um, so tough. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it definitely depends on what your mindset is at that point in time. But yeah, it, it's it's not a given anymore. You nailed, uh, you nailed um, Devin Neal, by the way. Awesome. I'm glad. I, I'm sometimes I like to go off the cuff and, and not use research. And I'm glad my brain pulled that one up. Let's go. All right, Mike. Final game of the year. Preseason top 10 Baylor comes to Austin November 25th. This is a really intriguing one to close it out. Again, I don't necessarily think this Baylor team's top 10, but I do respect uh I respect David David Randa, but I'm also not acting like he should be the new coach of the Seattle Seahawks, like some people online. Listen, I'm in your camp, and there's a part of me. I actually really like Dave Aranda. I oh, think off, like off the field dude. especially? Oh, my God. I love listening to him talk about football. I think he's extremely smart. I think he's a very good coach. I think they recruit well. I think a lot of great things about Dave Aranda. 
there's a part of me, the hater side, yeah, is like hoping for a middling Baylor year just so that the national hype around Dave Miranda can die a little bit. Because I mean, it's literally like he did a great, look, phenomenal job in year two of his tenure, going from what were they a two win team during the COVID year to uh, to uh, to Big Twelve champions last year, but. Like, can we get a bigger sample size? Right now, we've gone from one extreme to the other. Can we figure out what the, where the needle is going to rest Absolutely. at some point and what this team is before we anoint this guy? And I, I, I look, I think you and I had some takes about the quarterback position when they let Gary Bohannon go um, and, and basically sent him <laughs> off. And then we kind of rewatched that game and you were like, yeah. maybe we shouldn't have had those takes. How how in the moment did we not realize how bad Jerry Bo- uh, Gary Bohannon was in that game? I kind of remembered it. And then when we went back and watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. <laughs> For some reason, I guess I was just so dialed in. I just didn't realize that he had like nine throws that were completely off target. Like not even the interceptions, which – you know, half of the ESPN rollout was just like Bohannon. He doesn't turn the ball over. And I was like, well, he just lofted it into BJ Foster's arms. Yeah. You want to talk about a guy I think's being crowned early is Blake Shaven. Yeah. Um, Blake Shaven, I think, did a good job last year when he was called upon, helped him win a Big 12 title, helped him win a Sugar Bowl, all great things. But I mean, how, look, he's got, I think he's thrown like a hundred career passes or something like that. Like, let's, Again, give us a bigger sample size here before we really – I don't even think it's been 100, to be honest with you. I think he's throwing like 60 career passes or something like that. Now, they're not going to win the game throwing the ball. That's not what they're built to do. They're built in a wide zone, run the ball. um, And, you know, they've lost a lot from what they had last year on on those weapons. Smith's gone, Tristan Ebner's gone, I believe, right? He's not back for year nine, is he? I don't believe so. I mean, they also lost Tyquan Thornton, who I thought was sneaky, such a great player for them, a ton on defense. But like you mentioned, and I kind of, again, want to give him credit. We mentioned that we both like Dave Aranda, but I do think the hype has kind of gone off the rails. I think Jeff Grimes is play calling for a head coaching job. I think that he has just done such a good job at every single stop. And I think that his, you mentioned the wide zone, like the clear identity, I think does translate as a head coach. Yeah. And I think that it is a system that is somewhat plug and play. If you have the right athletes that can fill those spots. So look, I think Baylor's going to be tough. I think they're very much a team to respect. They are the champs. They are the defending champs. Give them that respect. Um, But again, those games are different when they're in Austin. Yeah. Um, a little and bit. And you get them the last game of the year. Yeah. And, and that game's very much going to depend on how the rest of the season plays out and what the mindsets are of those teams. If both teams are fighting for a Big 12 championship spot, oh, yeah. it's going to be a banger of a game. I think if one team is out of it, you know, I think that they probably fold at that point. Agreed. I have something else as far as – Baylor's concerned I don't know if the and it goes into what we're saying about David Randa of course I don't know if there's a bigger disparity between the I guess national media expectations for a team where I've seen Baylor kind of as the consensus favorite or the consensus second favorite behind one of the Oklahoma schools to win the Big 12 versus their Vegas line did you realize that Baylor they're over under a seven and a half and they're a top 10 team. Their win total? 
Yes. Not conference, regular season wins. Their win total is seven and a half. I think even given everything we've said about Baylor and being somewhat skeptical, I would hammer that over. For sure. And there's some juice on it too. It's minus 170. So you'd have to bet 170 to get 100 back. But still, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look and even the, like, there's no alternate line. Like, if you gave an alternate line though at eight and a half, it would probably be the opposite where you'd get some, you get some money back. So that that's what I find really intriguing about this team to be uh, quite honest, Mike, is that, yeah, they're a top 10 team in the AP poll, but the data and kind of what Vegas is thinking about this team is that there may be more of an eight and four, seven and five ish team. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I did not know that. I had not looked at their win total. That feels almost like Vegas, like you said, they're not buying. And here's here's the even more wild one, and I might even make a play on this, even though again I am not thinking they're a top ten team. Their regular season uh, conference win total is over four and a half, which again you have uh, it's a minus one eighty. But goodness gracious, like Baylor going five and four in conference just kind of feels like a locky type bet. So. I, I just think that's something that's really intriguing about this team. Is it that would be a tremendous step back if they did not go, if they did not do. And, and, the hater, and the hater in us would be pulling a lot of receipts. Yeah. And like I said, I don't really want to because I do respect Dave Aranda a ton. Agreed. I do really think he's a great ball coach. And I think they built that program the right way. And there are a lot of players oh, really like on that team and all those sorts of things. But there is a natural inclination to me to be like, hey, let's uh, let's let this play out a little more before we decide that this is certainly the case. Absolutely, Mike. Well, if you have any closing thoughts, uh, this would be the time to do it because we've rattled through the entire Texas uh, season. I think that I don't know. I like the way that the conversation went, and I'm feeling fired up for Saturday night at DKR when Texas takes on the Louisiana Monroe uh, Warhawks and. Senior wide receiver Boogie Knight, who's an all-time name. An incredible name. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited. My wife's, uh, my wife and I were talking about get, doing a, a getaway weekend, and um, we hadn't had a lot of time to spend together recently because of moving and packing and all those sorts of things. And so she said, well, what are you doing Saturday night? Let's Maybe we'll go do something nice. We'll have to watch the game for work. And she goes, well, why don't we just go to the game? So uh, we're going to be there. She's never been to a Texas home, uh, home game. Taking her to yeah, taking her to Waco, and she's seen a game there, but she's never been to a Texas home game. Um, so this will be her first experience. So we'll be around if anybody sees me. Uh, please feel free to say hi, and I'd, I'd love to talk with you and meet any of our listeners slash subscribers. I love it. I'm really excited that you're getting to go to opening game. I hope that you do invest in some ponchos, though. That's yeah, I'm I'm bummed about that. Yeah, sorry. I, but... I am bummed about that. But that'll do it for Talking Texas season preview for Mike Roach, Hudson Standish, signing off.